Also, thank you guys for being in worship with us. It's always great to have you, and you add so much, so thank you. I also want to welcome those of you in the narthex. Uh, great to have you out there. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, your grace is amazing, and we don't always understand it. Please open the words of Scripture this morning to help us hear your amazing message, the amazing good news that you have come into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, I have a little bit of laryngitis, so uh, you may end up going home early this morning. We'll see how far we get. When our oldest daughter was two years old, that Christmas we were setting up our nativity set, and her eyes suddenly got wide with terror, and she started saying, No, donkey! No, donkey! And my wife and I picked it up and kind of said, What, this? And put it in her face. You know, we, we were new parents then, didn't know that was a bad idea. She just started to wail, no donkey, no donkey, just terrified of this nativity scene. Well, we felt kind of bad, but it was also kind of funny, so we laughed, which doesn't say much for our parenting skills. And the upshot of it was that poor donkey had to, that little donkey that you know, my daughter thought was the donkey from hell had to stay in the box the whole Christmas season. There is a profound truth in what my daughter saw. My daughter understood that there was something not quite right about that nativity scene, which is exactly how people would have felt in the first century about the first nativity scene. Something not quite right about it and a little alarming. The passage we read today is very familiar to us, thanks to Linus. Think about it. You'll get it in a minute. But to a first century listener, this passage would have been shocking, not familiar. I think about the line, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a feeding trough. Come again? I mean, this is where the Messiah is born? I mean, the event planner for this thing should have been fired, right? And then there's who showed up? Shepherds. You know, we think of shepherds as these rustic, idyllic figures. That's because the Bible has elevated their status. But back then, shepherds were considered the dregs of society. Because they worked with animals and couldn't do all the temple ceremonies because they were always working, they were considered to be morally polluted people. As a result, they were never allowed inside the temple. And if they did show up, they got those looks. You know, the, what are you doing here kind of looks. Because they were migrant workers always on the move, people always suspected them of being thieves. If something went missing, the first people who'd be suspected were shepherds. If you so much as brushed up against a shepherd by accident, you would also be morally unclean and would have to go through all kinds of elaborate rituals to get clean again. Suffice it to say, you wouldn't want your daughter to marry one back then. So when first century people heard the angel appeared to shepherds, they would have said, to who? Did you say shepherds? Not what they would have expected. This week, Dana Van Horn sent me a story about a new pastor in a small town, which is written as though it was true, so I guess it's true. And the local funeral director asked him to do a graveside service for a man with no family, no friends. And he was new to the area, so he got lost in the backwoods trying to get there. Finally arrived where he thought he was supposed to be, but he was an hour late. Well, there was a backhoe there and a digging crew there, but but no hearse. So he went up to the grave, and he could already see that the vault was inside the ground. And uh, he said to the workers, this will only take a minute. So they gathered around kind of respectfully and the pastor started to say a few words and then the workers started to say, amen, and hallelujah, and praise Jesus. So not Presbyterian workers, obviously. 
And he just preached his heart out and felt pretty good about what he'd done. But as he was getting in his car to leave, he, he overheard one of the workers say to the other, I have never seen anything like it in this job before, and I've been installing septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> a story that is designed to keep us pastors humble. Not who the pastor expected to be there. Exactly the same in the first century. Of all the people God could have chosen to be at Jesus' birth, business leaders, kings, religious leaders, shepherds, would have been last on everybody's list. But see how good our God is. This is what is so cool about Jesus. That God chose shepherds to be there. Tells us that there is room in God's family for everybody, even me. You know, what I love about the Christmas story, I'll never get tired of thinking about it, is how messy it is. The messy place, the messy people, messy, 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 which tells me there is room in God's family for a mess like me. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be foolish. You don't have to have your act together. You don't have to impress. You don't even have to be good. There is room in God's heart for you because of Jesus. I was talking to a friend this week who's going to a new church called the Church of the Undignified. Isn't that a great name for a church? I mean, I think we should change our name here, right? First Undignified Church of Bellevue. We'd keep the first because who would want to go to the second Undignified Church of Bellevue? If we're going to be undignified, let's do it first, right? I love that name because isn't that true? Isn't that who we are? We're all a little bit shepherd-like, aren't we? A little morally unclean, something not quite right about us. But see how good our God is. At Christmas, Jesus says, come as you are, not as you should be. There is room in my heart for you. And all we have to do is admit it. All we have to do is admit we need Jesus and his grace. But that would be the hard part, wouldn't it? Because we don't want to admit we need forgiving. This week... We were listening to the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town with Our Kids, the Bruce Springsteen version, to be precise. We are such a hip family. And it got to the verse, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. A truly freaky verse, if you think about it, right? Like, Santa Claus is stalking you, right? That's weird. And Christina said, I wonder where the line is. Like, how naughty can you be before Santa Claus doesn't come? That's a profound question. And the truth is, wherever we draw that line, we all tend to draw that line below us so that we are always safely well north of the naughty-nice divide, right? And everyone else, well, that's a different story. Other people's sin, we have interesting quirks. But that dog won't hunt, will it? Because deep inside, we know there's junk in here. We ruin people's reputation with our gossip. We objectify others with our lust. We shade the truth. We think unclean thoughts, and we know it's all in here. And as a result, we're always trying to cover it up with accomplishments and achievements and keep up appearances. Folks, that kind of behavior does not come from a deep well of I'm okay, you're okayness. That comes from a deep well of fear that there is something in here that I have to hide. I got stuff, you got stuff, all God's children got stuff. And we need to admit it 
I'm telling you this because I love you. Because you see, we need to admit it, not so that we can feel guilty and slimy about ourselves, but because we never will know the joy, the full joy of God's forgiveness until we first admit how much we need it. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. And when we admit it, Jesus rushes in and he forgives us and he heals us and he makes us new. You know, this passage is not the only place shepherds crop up in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. The most famous psalm ever. What is the first line of the most famous psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, given the status of shepherds in that culture, that's kind of a shocking line, don't you think? I mean, it doesn't say, the Lord is my enlightenment. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and shepherd's work was dirty work. It'd be kind of like saying, the Lord is my garbage collector, which he is. Which he is. And this makes Jesus different than every other religious figure. Makes him way different than our culture. Because all the other gods, our culture, our egos tell us to cover up and measure up and work harder and pretend and pose and posture. But Jesus says, put your sins here and here and I'll put those things to death on the cross and I'll clean you up and you'll make you whole and I'll love you. Now that's not a license to keep sinning. Sin causes pain, which is why Jesus says to, it calls us to live a new life. But this Christmas, no, there is one place you don't have to posture, pose, hide or pretend. There is one place you can be fully honest and that's with Jesus. Will you do that with him this Christmas? Will you do that with him? Local writer Don Miller tells a true story of a woman named Penny who lives in Portland. And Penny had a liking for the drug, sex, alcohol scene and managed to rack up a lot of wounds and insecurities because of it. She says that no matter how hard she tried to put her life together, the sharp edges of her life always managed to cut her. And she hated Christians, mostly because she figured Christians would hate her. But along the way, she ran into a community of people who followed Jesus. And they weren't what she expected. They were nice. And they didn't judge her. But they also didn't live the same lifestyle that she did either. In fact, they lived a better life to her. A really cool life, a more, a more adventurous life. They did cool things like care for the poor, or dig a well in the developing world. She especially hit it off with a woman named Nadine, which frustrated Penny because Nadine was a Christian. And Penny couldn't figure out why she liked her. And Nadine and her friends described Jesus as a revolutionary. God himself come down to rescue a world that had broken itself. Well, Penny had never heard it put that way before, but she kind of liked that idea. Well, gradually, Penny began to open up about her brokenness and her shameful places of her life to Nadine. And one day, Nadine asked Penny if she would like to read the Bible together. And Penny was shocked to find herself saying, yes, I would. So they'd both eat chocolate and Penny would smoke cigarettes and they'd talk about the Bible. And Penny discovered that the Bible went really well with chocolate. You know, she'd always seen the Bible as kind of a salad sort of thing, but, but she discovered that it actually pairs best with dark chocolate. So store that away. Penny began to notice the kind of people Jesus hung out with. Prostitutes, tax collectors, outcasts. And Penny began to realize that if she met Jesus, he'd probably like her too. Well, one night, Penny was drunk at a party, headed toward yet another painful sexual hookup that would go nowhere, and a voice went off in her head, and she knew it was God, and he called her by name, and he said, Penny, I have a better life for you than this. Not only now, but forever. And she knew it was God, but she decided that she better not become a Christian right then, because it's a big decision, and you probably ought to make it when you're sober. So over the next few days, she asked God to say it again, but he didn't. And she figured that's because she heard him the first time. 
So she knelt down, asked Jesus to take all of her junk, forgive her, make her new. And then over the next few years, she gradually became a different person. More joy, more peace, out of the drug, alcohol, sex scene, living a more whole, more joy-filled life with a community of people who cared for each other and were having some cool adventures together as they reached out to care for a hurting world. She became a new creation who was being freed from her sins and wounds and brokenness, not because someone judged her, but because someone pointed her to Jesus. Penny was a shepherd. You and I are shepherds. Decent people, but not perfect people. People who mess up and slip up and know we need a savior. And Christmas makes it clear that there is room in God's family for everyone. You know, this is a pretty basic sermon about a pretty basic point that most of us have heard a lot. We're forgiven. But I don't know about you. I need to be reminded of it constantly because I forget. You know, as I told you before, I'm a bundle of contradictions. I am loving yet capable of intense anger over some of the pettiest things. I'm concerned about others, but can be shockingly indifferent to their needs as well. I'm committed to purity in thought, word, and deed, and yet still struggle with thoughts I wish I'd never had. I'm a saint with an incredible capacity for sin. And I'm a pastor, so you all must really be a mess, right? (laughs) Joking, joking, joking. But is this mess that God says he loves and that he welcomes home? Not because I've done anything to deserve it, because I haven't. But because Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross. You know, it is very fitting that shepherds would be the first people to see Jesus. Because as despised as they were in that culture, they did have one vital religious function. They provided lambs to be slaughtered at the temple as as a sacrifice to God, as a way of covering over people's sins. And as I said to you before, we don't sacrifice lambs to cover our sins anymore, but we do try to rack up enough achievements, rack up enough accomplishments, have the most impressive resume, all as a way of saying, don't look at my flaws, look at my achievements, don't you love me, won't you accept me now? But the Bible calls Jesus the Lamb of God because His death takes away all of our junk once and for all. No more lambs are needed because of Jesus. So basically, when those shepherds are looking at Jesus, they're looking at the man who 33 years later is going to put him out of business with his death and his resurrection. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. He wore the chains so we could be free. And if we ever doubt that we're loved and forgiven, the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his feet are proof positive that we are. So this Advent, what junk are you carrying inside of you? And how are you trying to hide that, maybe even from yourself? Will you do what the shepherds did? The text says they hurried to Jesus. They didn't walk. They ran because they knew their need. So will you hurry to Jesus in prayer every day between now and Christmas? And then admit your sins. Simply say, Jesus, here is the no-spin truth about me. And then hear him say, you are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And if you don't think you have any sins, try praying, Lord, show me my sin. Because you know what? We're never going to know how good the good news of Jesus is until we admit the bad news that we got junk and we need him. But then when we do, as far as Pluto is from the sun, that is how far Jesus removes our sin from us. A few years ago in Georgia, a man was doing his job as a garbage collector in an alley, and he heard the muffled cries of of a baby. 
So he jumped into the trash dumpster, rifled through the old food, coffee grounds, hypodermic needles, and sure enough, in there was a little baby that had been abandoned. Well, he took her out and he cleaned her up. They called 911. The media picked up on it and dozens of people called wanting to adopt this little baby, which one family eventually did, but not before the man who found her gave her a name. Grace. And, you know, when that man pulled that baby out of the trash can, he didn't, he didn't look at that baby and say, oh, gross, look what you're covered in. Oh, how disgusting. He said, how can something so precious be covered with so much junk because of something so evil? You may feel like you got dumped into some kind of trash dumpster and that you are covered with all kinds of junk, addictions, unclean thoughts, rage, judgmentalism, you name it. God does not look at you and say, oh, gross. God hears your muffled cries for help. And at Christmas, he himself entered the dumpster called this world in the person of Jesus, born in a back alley barn, died on a garbage heap where the Romans used to dump their garbage to come and to find you and me and to make us whole and to call us grace. God is not waiting for you to measure up. He's waiting for you to look up. And when we do, he will say, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace. And Lord, help us to be honest with you this Christmas about who we are so that we can hear the honest truth about how much you love us and make us new. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.